Hello, you are now listening to the Modem Podcast, where we deconstruct, examine, and discuss deeply technical data networking and information technology topics. Sit back and relax while we fire up Dial D and the 9600 baud modem and connect to the Wildcat BBS. So, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Modem Podcast, where we look in the dusty corners of networking. And today, I think we've got a great one for you. In networking in general, especially those of us in the data center space, it's always about more. We can solve every problem with more bandwidth. We can, uh, you know, it's more speeds, more bandwidth, more ports, more density, larger routing protocols, and BGP is everywhere. RIP is something you don't let your friends do. But today we found something special for you, which is uh, in my, my other part, uh, as many of you know, I'm really focused on smart home and recently a new standard was introduced, or at least that's how the industry feels. And this is called Thread. And today we've got a really special guest who is uh, Jonathan uh, Hui, if I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, he's here to talk about Thread and he has been involved in it for quite a while. Jonathan, uh, how about you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, uh, so my name is Jonathan Hui. Uh, I have uh, currently serve as VP of technology for the Thread Group. Uh, and also uh, my day job is actually principal software engineer at Google. Awesome. So I guess um, one of the things that I found really interesting when you and I started engaging on Twitter is um, that originally when I started looking at Thread, I viewed it as a lot of the protocols in the smart home space, which were um, you know, I compared it to Zigbee, Z-Wave, the, the standard low power, low mesh. Um, and those tend to be very uh, vendor dominated, um, not a lot of information on, on the implementation of the standard available. And quite frankly, a lot of it seems just the, the magic hand waving done on whiteboards behind um, the curtains. And um, so I want to first thank you for appointing me to a lot of the resources, a lot of the, the uh, Google uh, videos as far as the Google implementations that have been around that's really helped me to get into it. But um, for, so for, for those who don't know, Thread is really bringing IP to the low powered network space. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, Thread, uh, when it started, was really started by a company called Nest, as, as many in the smart home space are aware. Uh, at that time, this was probably early to, so 2010, 2011, they were looking at uh, building a, a connectivity solution that could connect all of their devices, right? Uh, and uh, around that time, it, you know, it does feel like a long time ago, and maybe some people don't, don't uh, remember anymore, but around that time was really when smartphones were just starting to take off. So, so they also wanted their devices to talk you know, directly to smartphones within the home and also obviously to, to cloud services as well. Uh, and you know, Nest was building devices that leveraged Wi-Fi. Uh, they had plans to leverage cellular uh, and they also wanted a low power technology. Uh, and you know, as they were looking at existing connectivity technologies, it was like, well, you know, we could do these one-off patches for, for various connectivity technologies, but uh, then it became a headache of how do we stitch all of these uh, connectivity technologies together? And so Nest said, let's, let's forget all about that. Let's build an architecture from the ground up that allowed us to utilize a single common application layer across all of our devices, whether it's Wi-Fi, cellular, or thread, leverage you know, a common security layer on top, um, you know, really try to make as much of the upper layers as common as possible. Uh, and so that really drove towards a decision of let's just use IP because that's you know 
that's the, that's in the name of IP, right? Internetworking. Uh, we want to be able to con connect different types of networks together, leverage all of the strengths of those networks uh, in a single solution. Uh, so that's that's really what Nest was looking for. And so IP, uh, and then you know IPv6 was was the the next version of IP at that time. And so Nest really wanted to build a solution around IPv6. Of course, Nest went around looking for such a solution that satisfied low power devices, constrained devices that had very little memory footprint and you know very small batteries. And at that time, there was no existing solution available to them. So they went around and talked to a bunch of product companies, a bunch of uh, technology providers, and said, "Hey, uh, I think it's time to start a you know a, a new standard that's really built on IP, uh, uses as much existing technology as we can." Uh, and and that's how Thread came about. And so in about 2014 or so, the Thread Group was formed. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization uh, that has over 100 member companies, and you know the Thread Group really is responsible for developing and maintaining the Thread protocol spec, uh, as well as serving as a marketing, uh, uh, you know, organization for promoting the use of Thread, and also providing a certification program that allows for, uh, you know, a robust uh, ensures robust implementation uh, and usage by by consumers. Awesome. Um, so yeah, then that's that was kind of my uh, tongue in cheek. A new protocol, in that it's it's really not new. It's but it's internet standard new, right? Um, so that's, uh, I guess, and, and on top of the new IPv6, which is also, what, 20, 25th anniversary, something like that, from the original RFC? So, yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so if you kind of compare Thread to what was already there right now, and, and this is one of the things that I, I liked about it, is you're just leveraging existing standards. So if you look at what was available, um, 802.15.4 is the physical and Mac layer, right? So that's, that's the same radio that was already available from a Zigbee perspective. So I think that's an important thing when we start looking at um, different low power technologies, you, you kind of look around and you say what's already available, what's already being made at scale to get some, um, some economics of scale from the manufacturing point of view, get chips available. So what made um, what made 15.4 the interesting, you know, why didn't you look at something else on the physical layer? Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, you know, uh, leveraging existing technologies and time to market and economies of scale were were the three primary facets for selecting fifteen four. Um, you know, uh, back in twenty fourteen again or so, fifteen four was one of the dominant technologies for for low power devices. Uh, it was mainly driven by Zigbee and actually, uh, in large part, a lot of uh, proprietary protocols that were leveraging fifteen four as well at that time. Um, so, you know, again, talking with existing product companies and existing uh, silicon, you know, they they had all gelled around. Let's just use 15.4 radios as they are defined, as they were defined in 2006. Uh, let's pick 2.4 gigahertz as the worldwide ISM band, so that we can sell these products uh, globally with without any with a single SKU, uh, and and roll forward with that and and put a put a standard. Uh, you know, network layer, which is IPv6 on top of that. So for someone that may not be familiar with much of this stuff, <clears throat> basically, so like, uh, let me give an example of, of my understanding of it. So I have um, in my house, I have a bunch of different sensors. They have like a water leak sensor, door sensors, garage door sensors, things like that. They're a mix of Zigbee 
and Z-Wave um, with different differing vintages based on whatever was on sale a given year or whatever. So the the network interface layer that you're talking about here, the what was it, 15? 15.4. 15.4 should be the same in, in both of those. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, so so the radio at the physical layer, so you know how, how bits are transmitted over the air, how they're modulated, the, the frequency band, the, the channel bandwidth, uh, that is all the same between uh, a, any, any radio that's classified as a 15.4-2006-2.4 gigahertz uh, radio. Um, so same, same hardware that's being used. Uh, and even at the, uh, the Mac layer, the media access uh, layer, um, the, the frame formats are all the same. If you took just a standard 15.4 packet sniffer out, uh, you could uh, sniff out Zigbee packets and you could sniff out thread packets in the same way because they have the same uh, framing, the same way of doing uh, frame check sequences or FCSs. Um, uh, and you know all, all of the bits in the Mac header are the same. So what what really differs is what's in the Mac payload, uh, and uh, that's that's where we transport IPv6 datagrams uh, within those 15.4 frames. Okay, so just an analogy for anyone that hasn't done any home automation stuff, the like typical equivalent that you would see to what you're talking about the 15.4 radio is like an 802.11 radio in a Wi-Fi access point. Right, so that would that would be the much more probably familiar equivalent for anyone that isn't familiar with this particular technology, right? That's right. And and one of the things we like to say about uh, Thread is it really is a low power alternative to Wi-Fi, right? Um, it's not in any means a replacement to Wi-Fi. Uh, like like we said, we're we're, we're you know, we chose IPv6 because we wanted to build networks that combine multiple different technologies. And so we, we really see uh, Thread as a way of extending existing network infrastructure like Wi-Fi uh, using IPv6. And so, yeah, you have 802.15 radios and you have 802.11 radios uh, solving different goals, but in the end trying to uh, create a single solution. So, Nick, Nick, in some ways, this, you know, we're dating ourselves here a little bit, but this reminds me of the once upon a time um, 802.3, the Ethernet spec, where you had IP and you had IPX, SPX, or you had Apple Talk or yep. these different networking layers on it. And, um, you know, now we are where we are today, where there are two networking layers left in the world. There is IP. Well, for, yeah, okay, let's not go far that far. There's some other stuff out there, but there is IP, there's IPv6. So that generally um, has now, you know, a, as a networking layer stack is available across all the different physical layers. So the IEEE defines the, the 802 whatever part of it, right? So 802.15.4, 802.11, um, that part is the physical layer, all that taken care of. And kind of the great equalizer then becomes IPv6 in this case, which is, what allows us to to really have a application stack on top of the net networking layer that allows us to, to talk um, and and basically allows us to build on that common foundation, right? So this is the the infamous uh, Stephen Foskett stack of lies. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> right, right. I'm very glad you went there with the uh, you know with the other protocols. I really wanted to do that, but I say that so often that it's just becoming noise when it comes out of my mouth. So it's better if you bring it out. <laughs> so. I, 
And I think, you know, the, the, um, Jonathan, that's a great point. And I'm seeing this all the time in people who are not necessarily in the networking space asking this question, right? When am I going to get thread? I'm not going to buy thread until my video cameras, my home smart cameras support thread. And I think it's, it's a great point that they're built for different reasons, right? Thread is built for low power and for low bandwidth, right? Uh, Wi-Fi is a phenomenal technology, but it's really power hungry, right? That's why we have batteries like things plugged in when they're in Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Thread was never designed from the from the beginning to support you know video streaming applications or or even audio streaming applications. Uh, you know, Thread theoretically could allow audio streaming if you just look at data rates and and modern compression technologies, but it, it was never designed uh, for for that kind of data intensive application. Now that said, you know there may be cameras that come out on the market that leverage Wi-Fi for you know, video backhaul, but also include a thread radio to allow uh, sensors to attach. And, and I, I think you'll see some of that in the future with especially security oriented cameras that, that want to use uh, low power sensors in addition to the camera feed uh, for security purposes. Uh, absolutely. There was a couple, um, we we're actually having this conversation the other day, and that's one of the use cases that came up. And I'm like, oh, you know what, that makes sense. There are like Akara has um, an Equity both have cameras where you can have a contact sensor, a motion sensor that speaks Zigbee or, or some other RF um, low bandwidth protocol back to the camera itself. So, and it's acting really as, as a hub in smart home terms um, that allows it to jump through and then back onto the network, which is, I think, interesting. So what, just for, to, to get this out of the way, what's the maximum bandwidth that you see um, on a thread network today? Yeah, so yeah, well, just, just to put a little background in there, uh, there's the, the physical data rate at, at the physical layer is 250 kilobits per second today. Um, uh, then of course you, you have the usual uh, overheads of you know packet overheads of, of Mac header uh, media access so that there's that Mac overhead uh, and then if you talk about a mesh networking environment uh, if you get into a multi-hop scenario you you you're actually further reducing that um, raw data rate because uh, you know these these radios when you're transmitting uh, you can't receive at the same time so it's it's really half duplex communication at that point uh, so. You know, if you take half duplex, you're you're already down to 125 kilobits. Uh, if you talk about multi-hop, then we get into what's called the hidden terminal problem, where uh, if I'm transmitting to uh, some intermediate router, uh, that intermediate router is obviously receiving, so it, it can't be forwarding any packets at the same time. So we're really down into at no no more than a third of the raw data rate. So so now you're you're talking, you know, uh, 80 kilobits a second, just uh, you know, theoretical throughput. Um, I, I think, uh, practically speaking, um, you, you could get around, um, in, in certain scenarios, uh, you, you can get uh, about single digit kilobytes per second, um, you know, uh, of throughput if, you know, in, in those kind of networks. But again, if, if your device is constantly communicating that amount of data, it's probably not a low power device at that point. Right. So I want to make two points here. <clears throat> the first one is when you're talking about the data rates that it's pushing, you know, folks that are used to listening to this podcast are used to us blathering on about, you know, terabit networking and 400 gig DWDM and things like that. But what we're talking and, and, and that's fine because that's, you know, we talk about backbones a lot. But what we're talking about here is you're moving around very, very small pieces of data like the door is open, the door is closed. The temperature is 
72 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, and that's it. Right. And, and so because of that, to sort of set the stage further about the low power, I'll give an example of something that I have. Like I have some, some of these sensors on doors in my house, the external doors that I put in five plus years ago that I have never changed the batteries in. And these are doors that like, I got two kids there. I mean, they're constantly opening and closing and I've never once replaced the batteries in any of these sensors. So the- so, and yeah, and, and I think for, I, I believe this particular podcast is going to have a crossover audience. So let's, let's break that down real quick. This is a small text document. Is, is a way to think about this. We're talking K, not megs. So a video stream is about three to five megs from a streaming, and that's for a 1080p stream. That's not a 4K stream. We're not talking gigs, which is your standard home ethernet at this point. It's not 10 gig. It's not 40 gig. It's not 100 gig. It is very small. And there is no judgment in my voice when I say that, right? This is an application that was designed properly. So well-engineered is how I would say that, right? So I think that's important. There's no judgment. It's okay. It's okay that yeah. it's small. Yeah, it's small, uh, and you know, we for for open closed sensors, you know, most people say, oh, it's just one bit of data. Uh, in you know, to the user, that's true. But uh, you know, once you start layering, okay, now I got to think about security. I think it, you know, replay attacks. Um, yeah, that that header starts to grow. But certainly, it's not. We're not talking kilobytes, right? You're, we're still talking tens of bytes of data that that need to to get it. Uh, you know, the door has opened uh, in a secure way. Awesome. So um, maybe one of the things I was hoping to go through is a little bit of, of the actual architecture of, of what a threat network actually looks like. So um, maybe if you can walk us kind of through, it is mesh networking, but there are multiple roles within a thread network uh, from full thread devices, sleepy devices. So if you can kind of talk us through that. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, we'll get to the infamous border router at some point. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, let's just uh, ignore the, the border router piece for a moment and just talk about the mesh. Um, so, you know, I guess one place to start is uh, a thread mesh network is is composed of, you know, a basically a, a a core of routers, uh, what we call thread routers. Um, these thread routers are not necessarily IPv6 routers. These are more what we call mesh routers, uh, and those are designed for forwarding packets uh, on behalf of other devices within the thread network. Uh, those devices uh, establish links with other routers. Uh, and they uh, implement a routing protocol, uh, very similar to RIP, um, to uh, exchange routing information. And you know, for every other router that's with, active within the thread network, I can know what the best next hop is to reach that other router. So that there's a, a core of thread routers that that form that uh, mesh routing, uh, and then uh, off of each router uh, can have very low power, uh, what we call end devices that hang off of those routers. And so, you know, a, a, another terminology we use in thread is child and parent relationship where um, a, a thread router also serves as a parent to any child or end device that's attached uh, directly to it. And, and one of the key differences between a router and an end device is a router uh, has to keep its radio on, always listening at any time. Um, but end devices can uh, periodically check in with the router uh, to either send data or uh, receive data. And because the, the end device can do that whenever it wants, it, it can actually operate at very low duty cycles, uh, usually well below a 1% duty cycle. Uh, and that's how we achieve uh, very 
uh, high lifetimes on, on very small batteries. But because the router is always listening, uh, the child, if, if there's an event like the door opens, it can immediately turn on, spit out a single packet, uh, and that gets communicated across the network within a few milliseconds. And that's how Thread achieves uh, its low latency, but also uh, low power on the end devices. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe to make that real for a second. So what that translates back into is that most of the Thread router devices will be powered in some way, right? So you'll see that uh, implementations right now in things like um, NanoLeaf has a Thread LED strip or a Thread light bulb. Uh, you're inevitably going to see a Thread-enabled plug. I think Eve, um, Eve Home has an Eve Energy, which is a Thread-enabled plug. You know, that would be that that profile, which is always on, radio is always listening. On the other hand, for that, that end node, the child node, you would see that typical things like a motion sensor or um, a contact sensor, or uh, you know, we've seen the Eve Aqua, which is actually a thread-enabled um, sprinkler controller, yep. right? Yep. And uh, you know, to also to put it in perspective, when we say powered, it, it is really a different magnitude of power compared to other technologies. It's you know, to keep the receiver on on a fifteen-four radio uh, is about four or five milliamps of current, uh, which translates to you know about. Uh, order 10 milliwatts of power, which is uh, even even always on is significantly lower than a lot of the other existing technologies. It's not Wi-Fi blasting everywhere. That's right. Yeah. Cool. So um, one of the actually, well, I, well, I have you here. One of the things I did want to um, ask you about, and I've read through the 1.2 thread spec, and I'm curious because we have not seen this anywhere yet. Bluetooth. So there is uh, within the spec the ability for Bluetooth devices, which are not 802.15.4, obviously they're Bluetooth, um, to, it, it looks like they can hop through a thread network and then um, leverage thread as their, as the um, low power protocol, low power WAN or MAN or whatever. Uh, what, do, what do we call it? Is it, is it a MAN at this point? Is it LAN? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, historically it was a PAN personal area network um, you know, some people take personal to, to mean different things, whether it's, you know, something that's on their body or, you know, something that's within their home. Um, but I, I think for historical purposes, it, it's, it is, most people call it PAN currently. Okay, so, um, so Bluetooth can leverage the PAN. So what does that require on the Bluetooth side? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess just to be uh, really open about that, it's uh, the you know Thread Group is looking at how to best leverage uh, Bluetooth. Uh, as you know, these use cases that have been shown in in the documents are are some of the use cases that Thread Group is currently looking at. Those specs are still under development, so you know we're still trying to figure out uh, what's the best way. And and you know Thread Group is also. You know, if you've seen on the website, it has established liaison ships with a variety of uh, ecosystems, including Zigbee and, and uh, you know other uh, building automation and, and commercial building applications um, like IP Bliss and others that are. Uh, so, so Thread Group is still kind of working through some of the details on this. But uh, you know, to, to answer your question directly, it's um, many of the 15.4 radios that are available today uh, are, are ca called what they call multi-protocol radios. And so they actually support uh, both 15.4 and Bluetooth uh, on the same piece of silicon, uh, and that's true for uh, you know the the existing products that we see today. They they actually have um, uh, you know support the need for Bluetooth, like like the Nano Leaf bulbs, right? They they support both Bluetooth uh, and Thread simultaneously, and that's because they use a, a an SoC that actually supports both Bluetooth uh, and 15.4. 
using the same chip. But um, is it isn't uh, aren't they both 2.4 gigahertz as well, which makes that a little bit easier? Yeah, exactly. So so yeah. they're both 2.4 gigahertz, and you know th- there are significant differences between uh, Bluetooth uh, and 15.4. But at the when it when it comes down to it, the 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 moment you implement one of those, uh, the the, ad- the additional amount of gates to implement, you know, both combined is actually not that much uh, overhead uh, compared to just just one of them. So that that's one of the advantages there of of Bluetooth. But uh, yeah, so so you know, number one, you you have to have a, a chip or a platform that has uh, supports both radios, uh, and then uh, in order for uh, a device to actually communicate directly um, with Bluetooth and and appear as if it's on the thread mesh. Uh, one of the ways we've been looking at is uh, you establish a Bluetooth connection, uh, just like you, you do just a standard Bluetooth connection. But over that link, uh, you communicate IPv6 packets. And because now you're, you're doing IPv6, uh, as long as the addressing scheme uh, is consistent with what's available on the thread network, then in theory, uh, you should be able to transport IPv6 packets across that Bluetooth link and uh, transit the thread network to to either thread devices or or other IPv6 networks. So again, IPv6 makes it protocol or makes the the overall system um, physical layer agnostic. Uh, exactly. Yep. Cool. Um, so we've talked about full thread devices. We talked about Sleepy. I think now would be a great time to get into uh, the infamous border router. So, um, and, and the border router being different than a thread router, maybe. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that is a good uh, piece of clarification that, that actually confuses even, uh, veteran thread, uh, technologists where, uh, we use the term router in both places and, uh, for good reason, uh, a thread router is forwarding thread packets within a thread network. Um, so, uh, you know, you can actually consider that as a layer two, uh, you know, relay really uh, in, in more traditional networking. It's it's really not forwarding uh, using IPv6 headers uh, at that point. It, it, it's really using uh, 15.4 uh, framing and six low pan framing. Uh, six low pan is, is an IETF RFC that defines how to transport IPv6 datagrams over 15.4. Um, so you, you can think of what we call thread routers uh, as more traditional um, layer two uh, relays or, or you know forwarding, whereas a border router really is IPv6 is a full blown IPv6 router, right? Uh, you have multiple network interfaces that you know one interface is the thread interface, another interface Wi-Fi or cellular or Ethernet or what have you, uh, and you establish IPv6 routes uh, and forwarding tables and um, forward packets uh, as you would in a standard IPv6 runner. And yeah, to, to get to your uh, comments about uh, may or may not be a thread router, um, in thread, uh, a device actually, well, if even if it's router capable, doesn't always operate as a router. Uh, and that's useful in thread because the, the more routers you attach to a network, the more communication and state overhead you need to uh, that that needs to happen within that, that routing protocol. That you know, that that's nothing new in in the routing space. And so, what Thread does as part of trying to limit the amount of communication and state complexity is limit the number of active routers uh, that are within the network at any time. Uh, and because Thread is dynamically selecting the set of routers that are active, 
a, a border router may or may not be a thread router uh, at that given time, but it can still be a border router. So if you can imagine, it's still routing packets between different network interfaces at the IPv6 layer, but it may not be forwarding, uh, you know, it, it, number, it may not be serving as a parent for other thread end devices, uh, and it may not be forwarding thread or relaying thread uh, packets for other thread devices, but it is still serving as an ingress egress point for IPv6 packets uh, uh, for that thread network. So then so now we're starting to talk my language. Um, <laughs> so go ahead, Chris, and then I have a big list of questions. So yeah, con conceptually, then it looks like it's you know the protocol is is built um, intelligently in with a hierarchy, right? You have child nodes connecting to uh, parent nodes. Parent nodes are a full thread router. You're going to have a limited amount of full thread routers, um, and I think that number is like fifty. What is it? 32? 15, 32. Yeah. Thirty-two. Yeah. Um, so how many, I guess one question would be how many child nodes can a parent node have? So I'm trying to get an idea of like, if we go back to the, the personal, personal area network, yeah, yeah. um, you know, I remember the days of the pan was a, um, infrared, uh, you know, on, on laptops, right. And you could get like six, uh, we're not talking that, that level of scalability. We're talking much, much larger. Much so, yeah. um, a parent node can have approximately how many child nodes? Yeah. So the protocol itself uh, supports up to 511 children uh, per parent. Um, now, for, you know, practically speaking, there, there's memory constraints on, on a given device that that limit that. So, uh, typically, the thread routers that you see on the market today, I believe, support 32 children, um, uh, and some support uh, much more. Like like a, a nano leaf bulb has an, you know an embedded uh, SOC in there with limited memory. So it's probably closer to 32 children, um, but you know, uh, there's uh, more capable devices, maybe Linux class uh, that have you know megabytes of memory, gigabytes of memory. Right, uh, a, a thread child is is uh, sm small peanuts uh, compared to what's what memory is available, uh, and in theory can support up to 511 uh, children. And that's per router of which you can have 32. So I'll that's I'll right. let somebody else do the math on that. Um, <laughs> Which, you know, and I think that's really interesting and, and it, it is a good ego check for me with the arrogance of a data center networking person to go, um, you know, hey, BGP everywhere. I don't have to worry about any other networking protocols. And yet um, you're able to do this on such a small footprint uh, where distance vector routing protocols make sense. And like, that's not a small network. You're talking thousands of nodes, even even on the constrained 32 times 32, right? That's, that's right. With, that's right with, and, and it's awesome. really yeah it, it's 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 pretty cool it, but it, it comes back to how, how thread was designed uh you know it's it's a hierarchical protocol so you know just like ip we do aggregation um so all, all of the children are assigned an address a a layer two address uh that is uh you know comes out of the parents uh, address space and so when we do routing protocol we have up to 32 routers so you know that's really five or six bits, um, we, we do six bits just, just for uh, additional uh, space and, and future-proofness, but you know, really you only need five bits to communicate um, a, uh, a router's ID. Uh, and so we, we do routing protocols using you know, five bits of ID plus uh, several bits for path cost information. So you're, you know, we're really talking one to two bytes of information per router in a distance vector table. Uh, and then, uh, you know, 511 children, you know, you, the, the routers don't need to maintain 
uh, all the children for for the entire thread network, right? They they just need to know which parent they're attached to, and they know that from from the address and, and an aggregation. Yep. So Nick, you do you wanna you wanna dig yeah. in? Yeah. So okay, <laughs> I'm trying to relate this to skills that I moderately understand um, and technologies that I that I you know that I'm more comfortable with. So you've got the notion of the thread router. That's the child parent relationship where you assign these layer two addresses and everything. And then you have the border router and the border router to me sounds like it's a, both a media converter potentially, as well as a transit router for this IPv6 network. Now, back in the day, I would have called this a gateway. Right. Translation right, between right. dissimilar media types, right? Yes. This is yes. it's a frame relay yeah. gateway. Oh, yeah. I'm having yeah. a I'm having a flashback of building InfiniBand gateways. <laughs> um, okay, so you've got uh, you've got this border router, and it you know it's transiting IPv6, presumably. How how does addressing work? Like, are you using ULA addressing? Can you define you know public IPv6 space if you want to? How how does this work? Yeah, uh, you know, Thread tries to be as general as possible and, and support, you know, all of the network topologies that IPv6, uh, you know, operators may want to deploy with. Um, so, so Thread actually uh, uh, uses or supports both ULAs and uh, global IPv6 addresses. Um, a border router, just like any IPv6 router, uh, can, uh, you know, advertise. At, what, what you know on, on Ethernet and, and Wi-Fi a link all, all devices are attached to a link so so the notion of on link uh, you know there's there's this on link prefix that that's advertised within router advertisements on a, a traditional uh, you know Ethernet or, or Wi-Fi link on thread we have an, an analogous analogous um, uh, mechanism where instead of on link we say on mesh because you know a link only traverses one radio hop whereas mesh traverses the entire thread network. So there's this notion of an on-mesh prefix that a border router can advertise within the network. Uh, that on-mesh prefix can be a ULA, can be a, a global IPv6 address. Um, that's propagated throughout the thread network, um, not using ICMPv6 RAs because, again, those traverse a single IP hop, whereas a, a thread mesh network is multiple hops. So thread has its own mechanism for um, propagating what, what we call thread network data, which is network configuration information that's dynamic and, and configurable at runtime. Um, uh, and, and that on-mesh prefix is just one of those aspects. Uh, that gets propagated to all the devices. Uh, and well, just like standard RFC 4862, they perform Slack, uh, you know, using these uh, uh, network data information. Uh, and those bits, just like just like a router advertisement, uh, the network data includes bits that say, uh, can you or should you configure a Slack address out of this uh, odd mesh prefix? Uh, is there a DHCP v6 server that you should be reaching for this uh, prefix? Um, so it really does try to model the exact same, um, you know, network administration configuration behavior that a uh, you might you'd be used to seeing on the Ethernet and, and Wi-Fi. But of course, we've had to do some. The, the the technical you know nuts and bolts of how we communicate that information is different, but uh, you know at, at the high layer you know, from the from an operational perspective, we we do try to keep the 
the model is the same. Okay, so so from a from a technical perspective, um, for anyone that isn't familiar, listeners that may not have had a lot of IPv6 experience, there's a notion of so IPv6 is very link oriented. When I say link, I mean the segment. So there's typically an FE80, an FE80 address that's considered link local, and that's only valid on that segment. I'm ge- and then there's additional addressing over that. You can have, you know, ULA, you can have GUA, you can have whatever. On top of that, you can have all of it. I mean, you're going to have multiple addresses because of the nature of V6. So what I'm hearing is that you had to make some minor adjustments to how the link uh, local addressing schema and uh, mechanisms behave because it's a mesh and not a single link. Yeah. So early in the development of Thread, uh, there was actually a, bi- a bit of debate about what the definition of on-link would be within a Thread network. Um, you know, there were some proponents saying uh, on-link should really be the just like Wi-Fi and Ethernet. It doesn't matter if you know Ethernet today really uh, can be composed of of many physical you know segments. Uh, and so they said, oh, well, why can't Thread just be like that? You know, if I if I send a a message to uh, the link local all nodes. Why why doesn't that just reach all the nodes? Um, and then there there was the the other uh, alternative. Uh, it, whereas if I, link local is really defined by those neighbors that are directly reachable with a single radio transmission. Um, uh, and you know the the, the former being you know, try, really trying to make thread just look like Ethernet and Wi-Fi leverage the same you know RF RFC 4861, neighbor discovery messages, uh, and you know, really attempting, that was the main argument uh, for that. Now, Thread chose the latter model, where radio range is link local scope. A uh, couple reasons for that. One is, um, you know, just the, the argument for just leveraging RFC 4861 neighbor discovery doesn't work well uh, in in a thread in a large scale thread mesh network. Um, you know, you, you can imagine doing link local all nodes. Uh, that would mean flooding the entire network every time you send a, a neighbor solicitation or or a router advertisement. If I'm doing you know all routers uh, or you know router solicitations has to go to you know, or, or you know router advertisements going going to all nodes uh, as well, right? So uh, that's just not an efficient way to to operate a thread network. That that would be bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, I, I could imagine that as being, you know, 30 switches daisy chained together. Yeah. That you're trying, you know, that's the, the, you know, that's the Ethernet equivalent or analogy to that, right? Right. Which and it, even, it even might like, work, but it's probably going to be gross and hard to support. I mean, it's right. definitely going to be gross. And, and even on, you know, we'd look at Wi Fi, which is much higher bandwidth, much, much higher power. Uh, multicast is becoming a problem, right? Uh, uh, whereas the the multicast a a, a multicast packet, uh, if it's truly broadcast to to stations, Wi-Fi stations, uh, they typically have to default to the lowest data rate, one megabit, right? Uh, and when you compare that to what Wi-Fi routers are doing these days, you know, gigabit range, uh, you know, three orders of magnitude difference in in throughput is 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 a is a big problem. Um, so. You know, you're you're seeing Wi-Fi also having to deal with this, but you you can imagine in a thread network that's mesh and multi-hop and much lower data rate, the uh, the impact of having to flood the network is is even is even greater. 
Oh, for um, sure. I mean, I, I've seen multiple vendor solutions that are controller-based Wi-Fi, you know, large-scale enterprise that have been functionally crushed by simply enabling IPv6 because of the, they're crushed because they don't understand how to handle the multicast. So that's a hard problem to solve. I mean, granted that was, this is mostly 10 years ago. These problems are largely gone from what I understand, but the concept is, is pretty much the same, at least to a, you know, caveman understanding of what you're talking about. Like I have. Yeah. And, and so, so that was really the main reason why uh, we define link local the way we did. Uh, There's a second reason that um, is, when you define link local the way we did it, it really you can think about it as people building applications on Thread can start to actually build IPv6 you know application protocols that uh, take advantage of Thread's network topology. Right? I can start to say uh, I only want to communicate with nodes that are direct communication range. Um, uh, and you really couldn't do that if if you just assumed everything was was on a single segment. Yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, and one other question here. So, as someone, if an end user was say, you know, network savvy, but you know, sort of novice in you know the you know the sensor space, they buy. I just want to go through like a, a scenario here. So, I buy a thread ra- gateway device, a border router. I uh, just go bot. Okay, let, let me pause you on before we dig into this rabbit hole. Okay. I have one more question about the standard, which is a uh, burning one. Uh, border routers. How many border routers are supported in a single thread domain? If I have a thread network, can you have multiple border routers actively passing packets at the same time? So I have um, effectively, think of it almost like an ECMP. I have um, whoever my closest border router I'm going to go out. Is that as yes. supported? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so Thread supports multiple border routers. Uh, uh, you can have multiple border routers uh, advertising on mesh prefixes. You can have multiple border routers uh, advertising uh, more specific routes. Um, so, so you know, RFC I think forty one ninety one uh, is uh, Thread also supports that. Um, uh, and obviously, default routing. Uh, there's the, the the preference bits that are also uh, familiar. There's two preference bits that are. Uh, familiar to those that are uh, doing um, more standard IPv6 uh, router advertisements and and uh, router information options um, that that we support in Thread and uh, so you know the preference bits t- uh, take priority but if you know if you're routing uh, uh, and you see uh, two border routers that are uh, with the same preference uh, then you Thread will uh, select the what's the closest border router or the, the one that has the, the lowest thread route or path cost. Um, so yeah, uh, thread devices will most efficiently pick the, the less, the, the, the closest border router for, for egress. Which also means partitioning is taken care of and all that intelligent stuff. And uh, yeah, I wanted to deal with the what's in the standard, Nick, before we get into what's actually implemented. I know. I mean, we haven't even talked about the routing protocol piece yet. We're we're bumping up on time limits. <laughs> um, okay, so we can hopefully at least touch on both of those. So before we go into like a scenario where a user gets it and sets it up, which I think we could probably use as the, you know, this is this is where someone can get started. Um, let's talk real quick about how the routing routing protocol works. 
Um, it's been mentioned that it is rip. I'm assuming rip NG like, um, is it based on rip? Uh, well, so, so the algorithms are fundamentally the same. Um, they're both Bellman Ford algorithms, uh, at a, at a very high level, it's, it's distance vector. Um, the, uh, every device has a table of all other active routers within the network, uh, for each active router, they maintain what's the best next hop to reach that router, uh, and also the path cost when going through that next hop. Um, so given that table, they periodically advertise that table uh, in an advertisement to all neighboring routers, and that's how neighboring routers can determine uh, if there is a better hop, a next hop than what they have currently to reach. Um, so, so all the algorithms are the same. Uh, obviously, the packet formats are very different. Um, uh, you know, Thread, again, tries to minimize, uh, really compact down uh, the amount of information that it's, the amount of, the number of bits, not necessarily information, but the number of bits that's, that it's communicating. And it really can do that because, again, uh, Thread uh, limits the number of routers to 32 uh, and uh, the routing costs uh, to four bits. Uh, and so, you know, uh, one, two, I, I think about two bytes of information per active router is sufficient to to implement effectively the the, the Bellman Ford or, or you know effectively RIP uh, protocol uh, within the thread context. So if we're going through the process, you turn up a new device. Um, I'm sorry, you turn up a new parent. The parent connects to the thread network, the Wi-Fi mesh. It starts to learn based on flooding that's happening from the existing pieces uh, that are already configured, it builds its table and then it floods that table out. I'm assuming at a regular interval of 15 or 30 seconds or something like that. And then that just, that cycle just continues like it normally would in, in what a, you know, a network engineer would see in a, in a rip based network. Yeah, that's that, right. I, yeah, that's right. I, I really would. I, I wouldn't call it flooding because the the packet that a given router is advertising is only uh, just to its neighboring devices. Okay. Um, but but yeah, the the state does uh, propagate hop by hop as as devices you know advertise their own table. Uh, then naturally, that routing state does propagate uh, across across the thread mesh. Okay, that's a that's an important distinction because I think that someone from my background is going to think flooding. Because yeah, that's, that's right. what we learned with RIP, right? Yeah. I'm assuming, Chris, you had to unlearn that. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think I forgot that, to be honest. It's been that long. Um, and and, and I, there's another concept of a leader within Thread that I've seen, uh, which a, a leader would just be, is that uh, analogous to like a designated router within an OSPF environment? Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know, some, some people may, may see leader as, you know, a single point of failure or this similar to a coordinator or a hub in, in other uh, network technologies. But Thread really just uses uh, the notion of a leader as a way to um, be a convenient point of coordination. Um, and by convenient, it's, it's really for things like um, uh, some entity needs to hand out uh, new router IDs when, when a new router shows up. Um, but but the fact is, these router IDs are dynamic, and so they're not stateful in any way. Uh, if that leader fails, uh, another router can actually just can pick up that role and and move on without you know having to transfer any state or or replicate any state from from the prior leader. 
Very interesting. I like the functional self-configuration and self-healing that happens here. That's the fact that that works at scale is a testament to how much it's, thoughts it's magic. Into it. Yeah, I mean, it really. The the first I know, and I know this will probably make Chris cringe. But the first thing I thought of with the healing and the self-configuring is like, it sounds like SPB, <laughs> right? The because it's it's magical like that. But let's let's take that statement and put it over here. Yeah, let's not talk. Go there. <laughs> <laughs> and then talk. Let's talk about okay. So. I'm a, I'm a typical, I'm a reasonably technical individual that has decided that they're going to do this. Like I'm going to turn up all this thread stuff in my house or in my environment, whatever, right? doesn't matter. Um, I go and I buy a gateway device, right? The commercial products that you can buy. I assume there's some stuff you can build and buy little radios that you can plug into Raspberry Pis and whatever. But let's just say I go buy one because I'm lazy and I want it right now. So I go buy a gateway device and I buy a couple of sensors and I buy, what else do I get? There's like the parent devices. So I, l let me take a different approach here, um, Nick, in that there's a few different commercial, um, you know, generally what you're gonna be able to pick up. You've got Nest, you've got Apple, you've got a generic thread router available in some of the Eero access points. Right, so those are kind of the three most likely um, interception points that the majority of consumers are going to be um, walking into Thread. And this is like open Thread. There is that available. There's a GitHub. You can do the Linux way and the Raspberry Pi and go that way. But typically, I, I think right now, and you know, Jonathan, correct me or add to that list, but those are the three, the ones that we're going to see most commonly right now. Yeah, those are certainly the main ones that most consumers will see. So if if you're in the Apple camp. Nick, you are going to pick up a HomePod mini or you're going to pick up an Apple TV, right? And then you're going to have to find a thread compatible HomeKit compatible device. So thread is the networking layer, right? It is not the application layer. It's agnostic on the application layer. So HomeKit will be the application layer or the Apple home protocol, whatever, whatever they're calling it. Um, that is the piece that will have to also be supported on the Apple, so it will go um, contact sensor, whatever, to HomePod Mini. The HomePod Mini is is acting as your thread router and as the thread border router. Right, and oh, actually, the only thing we didn't talk about is the NAT six two four, in which is also available. So, in case anybody doesn't love IPv six, it'll work with your IPv four networks. That's that's the short version of that story. Um. So just real quick, let's just describe what that is just real fast. NAT64 is basically, I have an IPv6 only network. I need it to talk to IPv4 resources. As normal IPv6 functionality works, IPv6 is end-to-end -end connectivity, assuming that it's uh, publicly routable, right? If it's only within your environment, you can use ULA space and it never leaves your little cont contained area. Let's just, for sake of argument, say I have public space and I've assigned that to my thread network. Each node will then have a public IPv6 address that is then able to communicate outside of the network end to end unencumbered. If you don't have V6, if you don't have an internet provider that has V6 natively provided to you, first of all, complain to them like every day, at least twice a week, that they don't have it because they're like a decade late. Second thing is you give the, the thread border router um, an IPv4 address and there's an application 
on it that is essentially a, a translation toolkit that will take IPv6 and change it to IPv4. Now, there's also a component of DNS64. Do you guys handle that as well? Yes. Uh, well, so we, we are uh, working on that uh, with, within the, the thread group. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, DNS64 is, is one of those things um, that, and uh, actually I'll point to, uh, you, you can see some of this active work uh, within the ITF uh, if you're interested. I, I think uh, there is a draft, I, I don't know the, the exact name of it, but it's stub networks, um, is stub-networks is the draft that we're working on. And it touches on all aspects of IPv6 reachability, uh, DNS-based service discovery, uh, as well as um, uh, translation or, or support for existing IPv4 infrastructure. I believe I just read that. Um, okay, so that that just a quick little side so note on how that it, works. Bringing it back in. So if you you now have an end-to-end Apple-only thread network, right? Um, Apple's implementation, for instance, this is why I asked the, the question around how many border routers are supported. Apple, so that the standard says you may have multiple border routers, but you don't have to implement multiple border routers. So currently, from what we can tell by reverse engineering it, um, Apple's only implementing a single border router, right? So that that's one piece. So now I've got a thread network. Now how thread, the, the promise of thread, the beauty of what thread should bring us is interoperability. So if I was to get a Google um, Home uh, Max that has a thread radio in it or a generic thread radio in the Eero device, there is a full commissioning piece where I can go in and I should be able to join those networks. Unfortunately, the thread network, the thread standard also doesn't say that they need to give us the passwords to our own networks. So, so that's not currently available from Apple. Um, so I cannot, and I think this is Nick where you were getting towards, I can't take a Google um, Home Max with a thread radio or an Eero radio, incorporate all those together in the same thread network currently. Right, that's that's where we are today as of this recording. Now, will that change in the future? We will see. But it, did I did I miss anything there, Jonathan? Did I miss? Uh, no, I, uh, you 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 exactly. Uh, the, the, what the current state of the the networks today is, is exactly as you stated. It's it's really a function of the, the thread protocol, the implementations. Uh, that that's all standard. Um, really, what's not? It's the equivalent of. Um, you know, Apple, in the case of HomeKit, setting up a Wi-Fi network and not giving you the Wi-Fi passphrase, right? It's 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 really the equivalent of that. And so, uh, unless you're going through the HomeKit, you know, app or or some HomeKit certified, you know, partner, uh, you're not actually able to onboard a device onto that, you know, HomeKit over Thread network. Now, I, I will point out, uh, you know, this initiative uh, project Chip, uh, which is really driving at. Uh, supporting a single application layer uh, across uh, any IPv6 technology, um, including Wi-Fi uh, and obviously Thread. Um, as, you know, one of the goals of Project Chip is really just to make it uh, seamless for, uh, in terms of interoperability uh, between any Project Chip uh, certified device. Uh, and I think through that, you'll see uh, a lot of the 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 goals that we wanted with with Thread. Um, you know, having a standard way of, of getting devices onboarded uh, onto a, a existing thread network. Uh, and that's not going to be spe- specific to Project Chip. I think what you'll see is um, existing um, uh, ecosystems and, uh, you know, device manufacturers and whatnot will 
start building uh, infrastructure that is really necessary for uh, providing these thread network credentials uh, to to effectively the user so that the user has control of how and, and where devices uh, are onboarded onto the network. Um, I, I think one of, one of the uh, interesting things there is you know, the, the existing ecosystems are really trying to be thoughtful about how uh, to uh, make it a very seamless experience for the user. Um, you know, Wi-Fi certainly has been around for a long time and you know, people are comfortable with managing and, and you know, remembering their, their Wi-Fi passphrase. Uh, so I think we can take that as a given, but I think, um, you know, very few people know what Thread is, uh, and I, the ex existing ecosystems are saying, you know, if if we're basically starting at ground zero with deploying Thread, uh, is there a better way to make it more user friendly so that the user doesn't even have to manage the passphrase? Don't require the user to set the passphrase. Right? We often. Uh, you know, what's the common uh, passphrase that most people use? It's it's usually in uh, some some common string that is very insecure. Um, so you know it's a combination of ecosystems really trying to make Thread uh, more secure by having them generate the string, and obviously that that string then if if it's some high entropy string is not a user friendly string, uh, and so they're trying to make it uh, a lot more user friendly to be able to add Thread devices onto the mesh without having the user to even know about thread or even manage uh, the password itself. And you see that model with uh, Apple and Google and, and others today where the user doesn't even know that thread is, is working underneath. Uh, it just it just happens. Um, and I think we're, we're trying to extend that to a multi-ecosystem uh, uh, you know, uh, in a, in a multi in a, in a way that works for multiple ecosystems. Yeah, it's if I'm not sure if you're following this space, Nick, but yeah, it's interesting right now that Apple has launched Thread, and yet Google devices have been using it internally for five, six, seven years. Um, but Apple is just because of the way they've done it, and 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 arguably to your point, the commissioning uh, within HomeKit is it is like magic. You scan a QR code, and it's just done. All that negotiation security piece is just it's just there, which is kind of awesome. Um, the other thing I would point out for, for people not following this space is so project chip, uh, or choip as I like to call it is, uh, connected home over IP, right? And this is, as, as Jonathan said, this is a application layer stack. So not, don't think OSI application layer, but think like more of a TCP model where you have a list of applications up above. And the only reason it's now possible is because of thread. Right, so chip as an application layer is going to work over existing IP stack. Right, so it just becomes the HTTP, um, the DNS, the, the whatever you want over top of an IP layer. And then because now we have this, um, the physical layer has been made completely just agnostic by IP. Now we have up above where the application layer protocol for things like HomeKit or uh, Amazon's um, ecosystem, Google, SmartThings, any of the above could, in theory, now use the, stand, the same standardized protocol, right? So we're starting to see, um, in, in some ways, we're seeing in this particular corner of the networking world um, how things went 15 years ago in the networking space 20 years ago that it's all like nothing's new. It's uh, RFC 1925. There is nothing new in this space. It's all... It's all happening all over again, but at least we have some some decent ways of predicting this. Um, so I, I guess Jonathan, we're we're coming up on time. What's next for Thread? What's the is there any short short versions things that you're working on? Things we should expect to see in the next year, or uh, any of that that you want to share with the listeners? 
No, I, you know, I think what's next for Thread is is really just. Uh, I, I think this is an exciting exciting time for Thread. Uh, you're seeing uh, a, a, a good step increase in the adoption of Thread. You know, over the last year, Thread has seen uh, has now 17, I think, uh, built on Thread certified products. Um, but on top of that, we have uh, 30 uh, certified components. So components are like the the chips and modules that go inside of products. So, so we have 30 of those now certified. Um, so I, I think Thread is, is set up well for uh, you know uh, a, a good increase in adoption. And you're starting to see that with, with HomeKit um, and, of course, with Project Chip, I think, coming out by the end of the year. Um, you, you, should, you really should see a, a proliferation of, of Thread devices coming to, the, coming to the market. Awesome. Yeah, it's... Um... That, that I don't think people understand how important it is to have that OEM ODM space, having components available that are pre-certified. You know, as yeah. soon as you can just grab something off the shelf, build it into your product, and call it a day, that's uh, that's kind of awesome. That's right. That that's the whole goal. To uh, you know, that's why we chose existing standards, existing silicon that's already available. Um, we, we do really want to make it as uh, seamless as possible for our product manufacturers to get to market. Excellent. Well, we're uh, we're coming up on time, and I like this has been awesome to have a chance to really dig into your brain. And and um, you know, it's uh, from my point of view, it's I'm like a kid in a candy shop because I get both of my worlds right. I have my networking world and my smart home world, and this is kind of bringing it all together. So yeah, um, it's been awesome. Thank you so yeah, much for your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated the the chat, and uh, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if folks want to know more about this or find you and ask you questions, how would they do that? Like yeah, where would they find uh, you? to, to uh, learn more, uh, you know, threadgroup.org is the, the landing page for the Thread Group. Uh, openthread.io is the landing page for uh, the OpenThread project, which is an open source implementation of Thread that, that I, that I uh, maintain. Uh, and then if you want to reach me, uh, you know, I'm uh, available on, you can reach me on my Twitter, uh, J-H-U-I, uh, so Jonathan Hui, J-H-U-I, uh, or on LinkedIn, yeah, just uh, look for Jonathan Hui. And then we'll also put uh, links in in the show notes around, you know, to the thread group. There's some great white papers, um, some videos on there, some, there. there's just actually a ton of content for people who didn't even know the space existed to be able to dive in and just make your head spin. Um, and and really remove any any questions you had around rip. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about the V6 piece. I think that's well done. So kudos on that. So Chris, where can people find you? So um, I, I guess uh, at at HomeKit Geek on Twitter or at Netman Chris, depending on which side of uh, of my particular uh, world you're coming from. Um, uh, HomeKitGeek.com or controlissues.net again. Um, and basically just lurking around Twitter, YouTube, you know, doing, doing my thing. Awesome. And, you, uh, yeah, I'm on the Twitters at forwarding plane, still occasionally blogging for forwardingplane.net. Uh, spend a lot of time on, uh, the show modem.show and otherwise just on all the other usual places. We will see y'all soon. Yep. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the Modem Podcast, where yesterday's modems are today's transponders. For more information or to request a topic, please visit modem.show.